Amen, amen. God is good. God is good. And all the time? Let's try it one more time. God is good. And all the time. Right? We just sang that song, I will sing of the goodness of God. Church, are you living a life of praise, singing and living and speaking proclaiming the goodness of God because God is good. You just told me He was good. Amen? We need to live a life dedicated to the praise, the celebration of a God who's good all the time. He's not just good on Sunday. He's not just good on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. He's good all the time. 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 66 days on leap year. God is good all the time. And he wants to do a great work in your life. Do you know that God loves you today? And he desires, according to his word, good things in your life. That's the God whom we serve. And by the way, the God whom we love and serve also wants to grow this church. He wants to grow his kingdom. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. We're going to look into the book of Acts, and we're going to see the model for how God grows his church. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Today, we're going to talk about how God grows his church by faith or through faith. Now, faith is an interesting thing. Did you know that the strength of your faith is important, but equally or even more important is the object in which you place your faith? So I want to talk about that. I need two children to come and help me out. Anybody? Oh, Sophie, okay. Anybody? Oh, come on up here. I, t- I picked the two lightest kids, but that'll be okay. We're talking about faith this morning. You guys come on up here on, on the stage. This is what it looks like during church. Look, everybody's staring at you. That's okay, though. They're cheering us on. Now, I want to plant a seed in the hearts of our children who are watching and perhaps even a few of our adults. Now, what's this? It's a stool. Now, if you were to sit on this stool, do you think it would hold you up? All right, give it a shot. You're going to put all your faith in this stool. That's going to hold you up in it. Oh, it did. You want to try? You think it'll hold you up? Perfect. All right, great. So you put your faith in this stool, and the stool held you up. You didn't fall on the ground. What about this? This is a balloon. Is this made for sitting on? No. Do you think it would hold you up? No. You want to try? No. You don't? Do you want to try? All right, I'm going to hold it down here. I want you to put all of your faith in this balloon that it's going to hold you up when you sit down on it, just like the stool. Should she try it? All right. Do your best. What in the world? So you put all your faith in that balloon, and then what happened? It popped into confetti. Now listen. There's lots of things in this world that we can put our faith in. We can put our faith in money or relationships with other people or our jobs or our resources, the things that we have. But what we're going to learn about today is there's only one person in whom we can put our faith for our salvation. Only one. Do you know his name? Jesus. God. You had it right. 
Jesus is the one in whom we place our faith. Give these kids a hand. They came up here in front of everybody. You guys can go sit down now. Thank you very much. Jesus is the rock upon whom we should build our lives. Not on sand, not on sinking sand, but on the foundation built by Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Take out a copy of God's Word with me, if you would, and open it up to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. The words will be on the screen as well, and you can uh, sign in on our, um, our website as well and see the, um, the notes uh, digitally if you'd like to. Acts chapter 3, answering the question, how does God grow his church? Well, he grows his church by faith in Jesus. Look at verse 1. Luke, the writer of Acts, is now going to set the table for the story that we're going to talk about today. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So the believers in Jesus still came to the temple. The temple was not only the place of worship, it was the community gathering space. And they would gather for prayer at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as they did regularly, they were approaching the temple which was a a good place for them to go in order to tell people about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Look at verse 2. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. So there's this man. He's seated at the beautiful gate, as it was called, and this was the gate that all the people would walk through to enter into the temple grounds. The text says that he has been lame since birth. This would have been a lifelong uh, disability, debilitating condition that plagued every aspect of this man's life, and we're going to talk about that later. He was probably not a paraplegic. The Greek words used to describe this indicate that he probably had a severe medical issue with his knees, ankles, or his feet. But the man's disability was so severe that he needed people to carry him to the gate so that he could beg for resources to provide for himself. Now this act of almsgiving was uh, something that was a part of Jewish culture. They believed that they needed to take care of one another. And so it was common for folks who couldn't work to be able to, to gather at that gate. And when people would go for prayer at 9 and 3, they would gather there and they would give them alms. And, and they believed that God would bless them for that because they were taking care of their brothers and their sisters um, in the faith. So I want to stop just for a minute because this is important for us to know. This man was impacted by his disability in every single way that you could think. Think about this. He was unable to feed himself. He was unable to work. He couldn't even get himself to the place where you would go to beg for food and and for resources. He was so dependent on God and other people just to get him to a place where others would take care of him. I can't imagine how hopeless And helpless he was. He couldn't even beg for money without somebody else's help. While most of us don't have a severe disability like this man, praise the Lord for that, we all have a spiritually devastating disability. A spiritually devastating disability. Romans 3.23 says, 
for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat without Christ. All of us are unable to fix our problem. All of us are unable to make it right with God on our own. We do, in fact, like this man, need someone to expose us to the gospel. The way that he was exposed to those who would give him food and resources, we all need someone to tell us this good news about Jesus, the one who could heal us. We all need someone to set us up at the gate to hear about our Savior, Jesus. So next, the workers, Peter and John, are going to approach the field. Look at verse 3. When he saw Peter and John, this is the, the lame beggar who is at the gate, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. So the man goes about his usual business of asking for alms, calling out to the people as they walk by. Picture it. He's just yelling it out as the hordes of people walk through the gate. He's asking for money, asking for food, asking for help. Not really engaging the people as they walk, just generally asking for those who would help. Very, very similar to the way when you go to a, a ball game, the, the vendor would call out popcorn or soda or whatever. He's calling out for help, calling out for someone to provide for his needs. At this time, Peter and John, both apostles and followers of Jesus, are going up to the temple and by the way, in that text it says going up because it was an elevated place, higher altitude, so everyone would approach it by going up. And they're approaching at 3 o'clock p.m. to go in and to worship God and probably to share the gospel with their brothers in the faith. So he's not looking directly at them. He's calling out to whoever can hear and whomever would be willing to give him money and food. Verse 4 continues, Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. So they're walking by. Peter's heart is pricked by the Holy Spirit. As he walks by this man who's calling out, who's in uh, great need, who's probably had to beg and ask for help his whole life. And Peter's walking by, and he looks at this man and speaks to him and says, look over here, look at me. He's about to engage him as he asks for his money. And then this man hears Peter call out to him, and he says, perfect. So he looks over at Peter and John, expecting them to give him some money, to give them something that would meet his needs. Instead of flipping a coin of silver or gold, Peter's about to give him something that will radically change his life. He's about to be introduced to Jesus. He continues in verse 6. It says, But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Peter doesn't have a lot to offer by way of worldly currency and resources. Before he met Jesus, Peter was a professional or commercial fisherman. At that time in his life, he may have had some kind of money. But after he met Jesus, what did Jesus call him to do? He said, leave all that behind. You're no longer going to fish for fish. What are you going to do? I'm going to teach you to fish for men. 
And later in their ministry in Matthew 19, Jesus talks to this rich young ruler uh, about the one thing that he's kind of holding back from God. And the rich young ruler says, what is it all? Do anything. He said, you've got to give away all of your wealth and then come and follow me. And it says the rich young ruler, he, he had so much wealth, he just couldn't even imagine doing that. So he left really discouraged. And, and Peter and the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we have given up everything to come and follow you. So the, the text in Matthew 19 shows us that the disciples following Jesus didn't have a lot of wealth. They had given all that up in order to serve with Jesus, in order to share the gospel. And then further in Acts chapter 2, it says after Peter's great sermon when thousands of people were saved, it said they all kind of lived in community and people sold lands and gave away resources and they were all helping one another out. So it's, it's pretty clear to me that Peter, along with the other apostles, were living off of the support of the church. So they wouldn't have had a lot of worldly wealth. That's why Peter didn't have a coin to give to that man. But Peter possessed something much more valuable than silver or gold. He had the Holy Spirit. He had faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. You know, D.T. Niles put it best, and I hope you remember this, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same spiritual need for salvation from Jesus. And this is what Peter recognizes. He looks at this man's state and sees a desperate need for salvation. So Peter looks at the man and, and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. What could be more valuable than silver and gold to this man? walking and faith in Jesus. If he were healed of his disability, he could go to work. He could earn his own silver and gold. And more importantly, this healing experience would lead him and others to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, which is worth more than anything we could have in this world, in this life. Peter doesn't heal him in his own name. In whose name is the man healed? The name of Jesus. That's right. Because Jesus is the one who possesses the power to heal and to save. Peter is just the mediator. He's just the spokesman for Jesus. Jesus is the one with the real power and the authority. Peter clearly claims that the miracle will take place in the name and the specific name of this man Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, it's important that he used those. That's like Jesus' address. Lots of people at that time were named Jesus or Joshua in Hebrew. He's saying, in the name of the man Jesus, Christ. That word Christ means Messiah. So, Jesus, the Messiah who came from Nazareth. All of a sudden, everything is very specific for this one man, Jesus the one who was crucified and rose again. He is the Messiah, and this is the name that Peter uses to heal the man through the power of God. This name would have clearly identified the man who's responsible for the miracle. And most importantly, Peter draws attention away from himself and on to Jesus. 
Peter's proclamation also indicates that Jesus isn't dead. You know, most of the people believed that that man, Jesus from Nazareth, he died on that cross. I remember the day he was crucified. I remember where he was buried. But the way that Peter articulates it is this, this man at the gate, he's healed in the name of Jesus, the one who's alive, the one who died and rose again. This fulfills Jesus' promise in Matthew 28, 20, when he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Not just with those disciples on the mountain in Galilee when he promised this to him. This same Jesus is with you and I, walking with us through life. The truth is that Jesus and God's angels at his command are literally, actively, spiritually alive and with us and at work right now in this place and on this earth. Similar to the army of angels who gathered around Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. You remember this story? When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army of horses and chariots surrounding the city. No doubt he was terrified. So he asked Elisha, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. I'm sure the servant is wondering, Oh man, Elisha's really gone off his rocker. He's gone crazy. He's seeing things. What are we going to do? Verse 17, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What does that have to do with you and I? What does it have to do with this event? That same Jesus promised to be with us. Even to the end of the age. That same Jesus and His angels at His command are at work in your life. Even if at this moment you wandered in here this morning and you feel alone and broken and helpless, that same Jesus has promised to be with you and to walk with you through that dark valley. And we have the opportunity, just like Elisha, to ask the Lord to open up our eyes and to see him at work. We saw him at work this morning in a baptism. We see him, we've seen him at work in baptisms over the last two months. We've heard testimonies of people coming to faith in Jesus. We've heard stories about people taking steps of faith to serve in this church. God is at work, and you can experience that as well if you have eyes to see what he's doing in our midst. And God wants you to see that. He wants you to experience that. The same way that the servant experienced the movement of that mighty army and the chariots of fire. If we could see with spiritual eyes, we would see God working in this ministry. And he's promised to stay and to continue to work in your life. If you would just take that step that step of faith and trust and look for him at work in your life. It's through this authority that Jesus' authority 
through Jesus' authority that, that Peter can confidently command for this man who was disabled from birth to walk. This isn't something that would happen accidentally. He couldn't walk ever since he was born. He never walked. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, I want to take you there just for a minute. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and he gives his purpose for coming to this earth. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim and release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I don't have time to exposit that text for you this morning, but I could sum it up with this one sentence. Jesus came so that broken people could be healed. Are you broken today? Are you like the man at the gate in need of healing from Jesus? Spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing. Jesus came to heal the broken. Jesus came so that sinners could be forgiven. Maybe you're battling with a sin today. Maybe you know who Jesus is. Maybe you made a decision to follow Him sometime in the past. And recently you've kind of wandered from the faith. You're distant from the Lord Jesus. And maybe right now you feel ashamed of the things you've done. That same Jesus welcomes you back into a relationship with Himself. That same Jesus came to heal you and I from our sin. When we come to Him with a repentant heart, that same Jesus offers forgiveness. And you too can receive forgiveness from the Lord today. That same Jesus came so those who were held captive by sin and Satan could be freed. Jesus came to free you from sin and from the control of the evil one, Satan. He came to set you free. What lies before you today is the same thing that lied, that laid before that man at the gate, and it's an opportunity to exercise faith in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness and freedom in this life and the gift of everlasting life in heaven. Peter didn't have what this man at the gate thought he needed, did he? Peter had what he knew this man needed. He had something better. Peter gave this man what he had to offer, and it changed his life. Peter didn't have silver and gold. What he had was a testimony inside of his heart and strong faith to tell this man about Jesus Christ. Our place in God's plan, like Peter's, is to exercise our faith and to use what we have to make Jesus famous. Now, all of you in this room, you don't have the same things. Some of you have wisdom and knowledge from living a long life, and you've got lots to offer. Some of you have knowledge and your careers and your studies about life or science or medicine. Some of you are great hunters and fishermen. All of those things can be used to leverage the kingdom and to proclaim the gospel. Some of you have the gift of gab and you never met a stranger. You too could be used by God. 
Some of you have silver and gold. God's blessed you. You can use that to tell people about Jesus. Y'all remember my father-in-law, he preached last week. Were y'all here? Anybody here for that one? He's awesome. He's hilarious. He has so much more fun than I do. I'm glad that he came, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed his message. Pastor Doug has the gift of gab. He's gifted in a lot of things. But he could go into a room of complete strangers, and in about 10 minutes, there's him in the middle of the room, and everybody else gathered around him listening to his story. If you had 10 minutes with him when he came, he probably told you a story. Anybody hear a story from Pastor Doug? Over here, yeah? Brianna? He does that, and he leverages that for the kingdom. He goes out, meets people. In 10 minutes, they're like his best friend. And guess what he does with that? Guess where they're at on Sunday? They're at church. Guess who he's telling them about? He's telling them about Jesus. He leverages what God's given him, and so can you. When people see God at work in your life, they respond. When people see God at work in your life, they respond. Look at verse 7. So Peter tells this guy to stand up. This guy who's been, who's been handicapped and unable to walk since birth. Verse 7 says, Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So the, the language here in the Greek is lost when we translate it to English. You know when, you know when a child is doing something wrong? I know none of you have ever done this. And you get a little frustrated and you grab them by the hand and like pull them along. None of you, I've done it, but none of you have, of course. That's what this means. Peter reached out and grabbed him by his hand and he like wrenched him up in the air like, whoop, picked him right up. He forcibly grabbed him, picks him up. And the text says that at once his feet and ankles became strong. Now, how is this man going to respond to this? If I was not able to walk for my whole life and some random guy came up and said, you're healed, and grabbed me by my hand and started to pick me up, he'd probably have to pick my whole body up. I don't even know if I would make an effort to stand up. I don't know how that worked. But look what this guy did. Verse 8. So he jumped up, and he started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. This is a guy, think about this. Any of you that have young children in your family remember helping raise babies. Walking isn't something that just like happens in a day, right? Right, Miss Gerilyn? Like it's a pro- they crawl, they teeter around like Frankenstein, they fall on things. It takes a while. This guy never walked. And then all of a sudden, he's not just walking, he's jumping, leaping, praising God. The miracle isn't just that he was healed. The miracle is also that he's walking, He was not walking, never walked, not one day in his life. Now he's walking, jumping, praising God, celebrating what happened to him through Jesus. Day by day, this man sat outside the temple. Because of his condition, he would be unable to go into the temple, unable to worship with his fellow Jews, separated from God. He's not just walking now. He's going to be working. He's going to be worshiping God. He's going to be a part of the community again. It was done instantly 
in the name and by the authority and power of Jesus. Now he's in the temple. Another decision to make. Should I remain quiet? You know, Jesus' name wasn't real popular in the temple. In fact, we'll see, we saw a little earlier and later in this same text in Acts that they'll keep proclaiming and healing and the leaders didn't like that and they, they put a lot of pressure on them and even beat them for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so this guy's now been healed and he's not holding back. He's telling everybody what God did in his life. Jesus healed me. You saw me. I was one, once sitting at the gate. You remember every day. I couldn't walk. People had to haul me over there and I had to beg for money and for food. And, and now I've been saved. Imagine this man jumping, praising God, thanking God, telling everybody he sees, this is what Jesus did. Look at my legs. I'm walking. My life is amazing. This man, Jesus, healed me. Proclaiming the gospel. Verse 10 continues, And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. The they there is the community of people who are watching this crazy man jump up and scream and yell and praise God. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Now what's going to happen is next week, Peter's going to use that sign miracle, which means... The, the miracle happened as a sign. It was awesome. Amen. Praise God that the man was healed. That's awesome for him. But the miracle was done for a purpose. It was done to give Peter an opportunity to make Jesus famous, to tell people, this man you see before you who's standing here now, who used to be stand, uh, sitting at the gate, who never walked a day in his life, who's now jumping for joy, this man was healed in the name of Jesus, and then he's going to preach a sermon about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. So the people are looking at him. It's obvious that something miraculous happened in his life. They're in awe. They're, they're celebrating with him. They knew he was the one who suffered and sat at the gate. And Peter's going to use this. He's going to leverage God's work in this man's life for the gospel. The question I have for you as I, as I close is this. Has Jesus changed your life forever? The salvation Jesus provides us is both holistic and eternal. It's holistic in that anything we've ever done wrong, any sin we ever committed, anything we've committed against God or others is forgiven at the moment of salvation. When we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, we're forgiven of all of it. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross as an atonement for our sin is applied to us. And we're forgiven. It's holistic. It's also eternal. It lasts forever. Our relationship with God is restored. We're reconciled with Him, and then we go to be with Him forever in heaven. Has that happened in your life? And then the more convicting question or applying that to our lives is, are you leveraging what God's done in your life for the gospel? That, that's the place where the rubber meets the road. Right? So some of you are in here today, and you, like this man, you need an experience with Jesus. 
you need to turn from sin. You need to put your faith in Him, like this stool. You, you've been putting your faith in the things of this world, like that balloon, and they're letting you down, and you're, you're, you're hopeless, and you're helpless, and you're looking for purpose. And what we have today in the promise of the Word of God is this stool representing Jesus Christ, the one who can sustain, the one on whom you can place your faith that will never let you down and never leave you alone. Some of you need to place your faith in Jesus today, and we're going to give you a chance to do that. Others of us who are believers in Jesus, we need to leverage what he's done in our lives for the gospel. What did that man do when he was saved? What did he do when he was healed? He's like, woo! Everybody's looking up here now. What would the people of your life be like? How would they respond if you lived your life with joy and praise and celebrating what Jesus did inside of you? Whether it was yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, or five decades ago, you have an experience with Jesus that could transform the lives of those around you. Are we leveraging what we have? Maybe you don't have silver or gold, but you have a testimony. Maybe you don't like to stand in front of people and, and teach like I'm doing. But you can sit around a table and have a coffee and tell somebody about what Jesus did to your life. Whatever God's given you, the challenge today, like Peter and John, is for you to leverage that for the gospel. We're going to have a time of invitation. What that means is, in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. If God's moving in your heart today, if you need to come to the uh, stairs here, uh, the platform to pray. You can come up here and pray. Um, if you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come see me. We're going to talk about that. If you need to commit anything to the Lord, if you want to join this church, if you have a decision, we're going to sing a song together, and now's the time for you to come forward and declare that decision. Today's the day of salvation. Today, the gates of salvation are open. The experience is ready to be had by you with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we pray over this moment, over this time. We've worshipped you through music. We've heard the word proclaimed. And, and Lord, I know your Holy, Spirit, your Holy Spirit is moving within us right now. And I would just pray that that person whom you're speaking to through your Holy Spirit would take a step of faith right now and they would come forward, that they would lay whatever that decision is at your altar, that we could celebrate with them, the person who needs to be saved, the person who needs to follow through with baptism, the person who needs to join the church or start a new ministry, whatever it is, God, help us to have the strength to take that one step out of the aisle and forward and to declare by faith whatever you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.